0: Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, Peruanos de Estados Unidos, un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish, donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish, where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofía, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag peruvians of usa all right here's our conversation hola mi gente thank you for joining me for episode 11. wow Two more episodes until we reach the end of season one of Peruvians of USA. Thank you so much for your support. I couldn't have done it without you. On this episode, we're joined by Joani Diaz. Joani is a Peruvian American who started her career on Wall Street as a trading analyst and then pivoted to diversity and inclusion. As a passionate d leader with extensive experience in building, implementing, and scaling global diversity initiatives in financial services, her goal is to partner in the creation of vibrant, intentional, and inclusive spaces where all people have a voice and opportunities to thrive. In today's conversation, we chatted about her experience working in Wall Street, her passion for diversity and inclusion, and how we can talk about Black Lives Matters with our familia. And we also discussed being married to somebody who's not Peruvian. Welcome Johnny to Peruvians of USA. I am really happy you're here um, with us today. Um, we're excited to learn more about your DNA work and experience and also share with the audience uh, some of your Peruvian American experience um, as well as what is it like to be in a relationship with somebody of a different country, <laughs> which is uh, something that I can relate to. So yeah. welcome. And yeah, why don't you give us, I guess, a little bit of a background as to how you got started with DNI work?
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so happy to talk to my fellow Peruanos um, that I hold so close to my heart. And yeah, talking about my diversity inclusion work. So I have been working in diversity inclusion for about six to seven years now. Um, I didn't always work in d So when I started working, I used to work on the trading desk at JP Morgan um, on Wall Street. So that's what I thought I wanted to be. I think especially for many first-generation proven Americans, when you grow up in a proven household, your family wants everything for you. And the same for me with my parents. Um, they imagined that I would be a doctor, a lawyer, or a businesswoman. And for me, I always loved numbers, and I imagined myself on Wall Street one day. When I got there, um, there was little diversity. You know, there was no Latinas, there was no definitely no Peruanas or Peruvian people in general, and very very little women. So when I thought about the kind of impact that I wanted to make and how I wanted to continue this work. I didn't just want to be the person, you know, making the money, doing the trades, thinking about being in the business. Like I really wanted to make an impact with the people. So I I switched out of out of finance and I moved into diversity and inclusion. And I think for me it's been really fulfilling to meet people from all different backgrounds, create open doors for people that don't see themselves represented all the time. Make sure that we're creating cultures at organizations that welcome those individuals with open arms and not just to welcome them, but help them succeed and help them see themselves at the top. And yeah, I think for me, it's all about the access, right? Like being a young girl, um, being Peruvian, you know, there wasn't a lot of people like me in a lot of spaces that I was in. And I think, and I connect that back to my work all the time because I feel it fuels me. It feels like my passion for the work.
0: Wow, I did not know you actually were, um, I knew you were in Wall Street, I know you worked at JP Morgan, Uh, I did not know you were like at a trade, like you were, had a trade in that stuff, and you were like deep into like finance, so I am just going to poke at it a little bit. I am curious, like, can you share a little bit of your experience being like La Unica Peruana, the only Latina woman, you know, like. I can only imagine the type of culture at that time too, because like you mentioned, I think it was like maybe seven, eight years ago when that was um, your main uh, role. So can you share some stories of being the only Latina there and what it felt like? And, you know, like as a woman in corporate America, I have seen and experienced some microaggressions. I maybe boldly say that in, in an environment and like Wall Street, those are not so much microaggressions as like legit macroaggressions. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you can share some of your experience or um, in in Wall Street.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it was a culture shock for me, honestly. I, when I started working on the desk, I, I'm a first generation student. My parents, there was no one at home that could prepare me for what, what I was about to go through. And even going, I went to Syracuse University um, and even that, right? It was a predominantly white institution. So having those experiences, no one really talked about being a woman of color in these environments to me. And I didn't know how to ask those questions, right? So when I got to the desk, my manager who ended up being an incredible person, um, he it was the first time he had ever managed a person of color and the first time he'd ever managed a woman. And I think for him, because he thought that everything was fair and equal and a meritocracy, he was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna treat you like one of the guys and I'm gonna give you all those opportunities like I do with the guys. And my whole thing was, that's not what I need. I need something really different because I am different than the other people that you continue to hire here. I need to see women like me. I need to get mentored by people like me and also people that are not like me as well to get a perspective about them. And that had really opened his eyes on just diversity in general. Like, okay, Joannie is different. So I need to think about her really differently, help her go to different events, get her access to partnerships and mentorship opportunities, get her a sponsor. Like, but these are all things that I had to ask for because my manager didn't know how to do it for me. And I mean, there were definitely moments when traders, when I would get too aggressive on the desk, um, they'd be like, oh, like they would nickname me and call me JLo on the phone um they would say things like oh you're just being feisty or you're being too spicy like you know things like that and i think for me growing up in an environment where you're you're always just different i i you had to push back on people right and say okay if that's what you think of me like i'm just gonna push past that and make sure that you you know like what my brand is and like what my worth is right but it definitely is tough when you're coming out of college and you're coming into an environment where sometimes that's all people see about you, right? A curvy body, brown skin, um, and whatever kind of stereotypes they wanna put on you, that's what they see you as, which is really unfair. And yeah, I, I dealt with that a lot. So you have to be really, really resilient and have to have a lot of perseverance in an environment like that, for sure.
0: So then I would say you probably develop thick skin in that environment. So in in those tough moments, um, in Wall Street, where did you find your strength?
1: I think for me, it was all about my family um, and my network of like girlfriends from Syracuse. I was very fortunate to create a really great group of girlfriends in Syracuse that are also Latina, first generation, that I consider some of my best friends. And for me, having them as a sounding board to say, I'm going through that. Like, what are you feeling at work? And I think everyone needs that, right? To feel as though you're not crazy, and to feel as though you're seen. And that was very helpful for me to feel as though, okay, like, I'm going to get through this. Like, right now, I'm kind of going through something really crazy and different, because it's like my first time out of college, having a job. And, I would definitely talk to my parents about it as well and like my family, but I think it was, again, a little different because they supported me, they loved me with every ounce of their being and they were so proud of me. But there are certain things that they could never understand. So I got support from them, I got love from them and then I got also so- support from people that I knew were going through similar things. And I think that energy and that passion and those feelings that I had let me led me to the work that I do, led me to start an organization called Be Moxie led me to so many things as I know I kind of fueled it and didn't take it as like a negative thing all the time I was like this can bring other things for me so
0: you mentioned that your parents um you know obviously we have the support of our parents um and I know this is not obvious for everybody but uh, fortunately you do have it and I I also have um the support of unconditional support of my parents Um, but a lot of times they don't understand following your passion, right? Like or following or or, or trying to make a difference. And so, and I say that because my dad also talked to me about going to wall street, um, and working there. I don't know where I has come across the culture being toxic and just realizing that that wasn't the environment I wanted to be. So I went the engineering route, the technology route instead, Uh, But he was like, look, you can go make a lot of money, (laughs) right? You can go and make a lot of money and then just work a couple years and then you'll be set. Um, So I can only imagine, I guess, I guess I'm curious of the conversation, perhaps if you had with your with your family about like, hey, yeah, I'm in Wall Street. Obviously, there's money here, but now I want to go do something that I'm really passionate about, <laughs> like DNI, like uh, start this like uh, organization. And and sometimes our parents come from uh, an environment, you know, in Peru, perhaps it was really tough financially. And so, like yeah. having that conversation, it's like, let me follow my passion. It's like, what? So, can you <laughs> talk a little bit about that experience for you, talking with your parents about that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, my family definitely came from humble beginnings. And for them, all they wanted when they came to the U.S. was to bring security to my life forever and to make sure that I had everything that they couldn't have in Peru. And I'm so fortunate that they made those decisions that were incredibly difficult, moving away from your family, leaving everything at such a young age, which I think about myself now, like I don't, I don't think I could have been able to do it, right? Like, and my parents did it so young by themselves. And when I talked to them about leaving Wall Street, it wasn't an easy conversation at all. They felt really confused. Um, they, they understood, I guess, innately why I had this passion because of course, like I'm a Latina working, I'm a Peruvian working in, in, on Wall Street and don't see people like me. I wanna get more people like me, but they're like, you know, there's other ways you can do this kind of work without leaving this great job, like an opportunity you have to be like one of the first and at the end I really just had to do what I thought was right and it was difficult it was definitely difficult because I think my parents still threw kind of like little comments to say oh well if you're on wall street or if only you're a finance you know guru like we like we thought you were gonna be right and you graduated with a finance econ background with honors and you know you're not using it and I'm like But I am, right? I am using all that education that you gave me. Like definitely am. So the transition was definitely tough, but I think especially right now in 2020, they are looking at me and they're like, wow, like I understand everything so much clearer why you're needed, why people like you are needed, why DNI is needed, you know, here and in Peru and really around the world. And I'm happy, you know, for them to have that awakening, but it definitely took a while. And I think, but at the end of the day, I feel like I understood where they were always coming from. Cause I think as a parent, I would also always just be worried about my child. Are they making the right decision? Did I help them make the right decision? Um, Should I push them to not quit one thing so they can start something else? And I feel like for me, the only thing I can do with my parents is show them, show them as much as I can, include them as much as I could and be moxie and in my work, for them to see the impact of what I was doing.
0: Wow, yeah, I definitely understand those side comments that sometimes they make. Um, Yeah, with engineering, my dad thought I could just fix everything from like building a deck to fixing the sound system or something. I was like, you know, I don't do any of that. (laughs) He's like, but you're an engineer. you That means you fix everything, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, thanks uh, for, you know, I, I love that story that now, because of everything that's happening in 2020, particularly the discussions around race um, in corporate America with the la- Black Lives Matters movement and that they understand, I often find myself, you um, sharing a lot of context with my parents about what is happening and how it's not new, how this has been happening for decades and uh, and the reasons why there's still um, such discomfort with this discussion, right? And so I guess I am curious, like, have you found yourself in that position to like explain to your parents what what is happening like with Black Lives Matter and also like any tips on how we can talk to our parents about it? Because like so many of us first-generation immigrants are in that position of where we're like telling them, this is what's happening. It's not just riots. It's not just people being angry for one particular incident. It's mm-hmm. it's, the co- it's, a, it's the accumulation of yeah. a lot of hurt and, and the systematic oppression that is happening. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes our families do not understand that because they don't have that context that we do that um, because of school, because of being involved with the culture. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, this has been such a good opportunity for me to, again, bring up topics with my parents um, that to your point, aren't new. And I think when, when I think about Peru too, and like going there and thinking about how my parents grew up, um, there's a lot of colorism in Peru as well, a lot of racism, colorism, similar to the United States and some of the other countries as well. And we've normalized it. We've normalized it for so long. We just kind of live through it and nothing really changes. And that's what I talk to my parents a lot about, trying to connect it back to the country that they're from and think about the experiences they've had. And in Peru, um, there's just so much beauty and Afro Latinidad there you know, Evoyon, Musica criolla, like Festejo, uh, like all that beautiful stuff that has come from the Afro culture in Peru that is celebrated to this day. And people are, Peruvians are so proud of that, of that being like literally a part of the DNA of what makes Peruvian Peru. And I think making those connections, I think has been really helpful. My parents have never heard of like, what a microaggression is and finding, trying to find articles in Spanish to help them understand like, these things happen to me all the time, or, you know, and they happen to people all the time. What does it mean? Helping them understand that for me to be a Peruvian woman, like in the workplace, and for me to bring all those models and values and culture that they taught me at home, and for that not to be valued in, at, for anyone for, at, at work, that is why we need to do this stuff. And that is why Black lives need to matter, right? Because they can't bring their full selves without being safe. Every day, they they go out and have to fear for their lives doing simple everyday things. And I don't know if it was, you know, my, me marrying my husband. So my husband is Dominican, and he's he's Black. So I think for them, it's such a good picture for them to understand, like me not caring about this is no longer a choice. Not that they never, not that they didn't care about it before, but it's like now they have their son-in-law who they just adore. And they really wanna make sure that this person and my future children come into a world where like, yeah, we can talk about it as a family, right? And we can have healthy discussions about this. I'm not gonna shame my parents either for the way that they grew up, but it's important that we talk about it because this is the world that we're living in now. Like race is on the table and, People need to start talking about it openly, candidly. Even if your parents are 60, 80, like you could still start a conversation with them about something like colorism, racism, classism, something, because that is all, all things that divide us from communicating with one another and seeing people for, for humans instead of seeing them for they're black and therefore like we're gonna have all these stereotypes on them. And that's, that's a lot of the stuff that's been normalized for so long. So being able to have these kind of conversations with my parents around Black Lives Matter, what it's really about, what it's really meant to do to help push and break some of these oppressive systems that have been in place for so long. They, they really understand because Univision and Telemundo are so biased and what other channels do Latinos have to watch? And when I think about even like Peruvian channels, right? Like the way that they depict America is their own perception not being here 24 seven, right? It's what they hear, what they see, how they get information flow to them. There's so much bias information that comes out. So trying to like stick with the facts, make sure people, they know what's the context of all of this and bringing it back to and trying to connect it for them has been really important for us.
0: I, I do agree that, um, you know, trying to connect it to their own experience and, and trying to see how the things that are happening here are perhaps are also happening in Peru and perhaps being addressed or not addressed or addressed differently. Um, it's important for them to understand the context of it. Um, you mentioned that your husband is Dominican um, and how your parents now it's com- it's almost like saying, I don't have the luxury not to care about this. Like this is something that matters not only now to my son-in-law, my future grandchildren. I guess I am curious, some of the things I've, I've seen online about Latinos discussing this with their parents is they're just, the color is steep and it's subtle and it's ingrained in our language and the culture. And like one of the things that I've heard a lot um, is like mejorar la raza. Particularly, it's almost expected for, Uh, immigrants that come here, you come here para mejorar la raza. And I've heard stories when la persona, that person does not mejorar la raza, right? And like you mentioned, your husband is Dominican, he's Black. My husband's actually African-American, he's Black as well. So like, I wonder, did did your family, maybe not your immediate family, but your family in Peru, like um how did they welcome or react or you know and and I understand this could be a personal like sensitive conversation and I can share my own experience with that but I am curious because I have stories
1: (laughs) (laughs) stories for days um I mean I think my parents just wanted me to be with someone that respected me and loved me and cared about me and they met my husband with apprehension, like any other guy I've seen them with. They were like, what are your intentions? You know, like any any like old school parents are. Um, but I think there, there were certain stereotypes about him being Dominican that they had. Because I think Peruvians versus like every other country, right, Peruvians have like these stereotypes like Ecuadorians, like all this kind of stuff. And they had their own perception potentially about what it meant to be Dominican. And I think meeting someone because again, like I'm Peruvian, so I've grown up with all only Peruvian people around me, and not a lot of Dominicans have entered that space before. So this is the first time they were getting to know about his culture and like how he grew up, and you know what did he care about, like what did he value as as a Dominican man, as a man? How did he grow up? Like those kind of things, and I think there are so many things in common that we had because we're both fr- Latinos and we could appreciate those things. And my husband has completely like fallen in love with Peruvian culture. And I think that's been incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when my family would post pictures of my husband and I and, you know, all of their Facebook friends would see them, you know, there were comments like, oh, you know, is that Joanny's like boyfriend or husband like who is that and there was a lot of I don't think there was necessarily like maybe I didn't hear them like common said but there were a lot of questions like who is that you know like did Joanne pick that person um and why did she pick that person which is interesting because again right we're going back to the classism and colorism that's so embedded in Peru and there's this there's a saying that I heard a lot growing up, not in my household, but my where my parents grew up in Peru, my mom had a next door neighbor who was Afro-Latina, Afro-Peruvian. And they would always joke around and say like, call her La Negra, La Negrita, like things like that. And it's like, those are supposedly terms of endearment. And Jayla just came out with a song where she calls herself La Negrita del Bronx. And there's a lot of backlash about that. You know, so it's so like embedded in the culture sometimes that People may say things without thinking about the context and how wrong it is, because again, it's been so normalized for so long that even when people raise questions, they don't think anything about raising those questions. They're just like, this is normal because it's not what I expected. So I can ask and probe and potentially question her decisions too, which I'm really grateful that my parents always pushed back on and made sure that if there were any comments made, they were like, yep, this is who she picked, and we love him, and that's that's her partner, and like end of discussion kind of thing. But I know that not all families are like that, and I've met many Latinos who, you know, talked about that growing up, like, la people feel proud when you leave Peru or leave any Latin American country and you get married to a white man with blue eyes, like, that is like the ultimate goal for a lot of people, and that's beautiful too if you meet someone white who you want to fall in love with and, and get married with that's amazing but that's not that's not everything
0: right and I think one of the things I've noticed um, not only with uh, just like experiences I've heard from friends and um, almost like if you do end up married, marrying um, a white person Um it's almost like that's the end, right? Like, oh, this is my partner who's white. Yay, everybody celebrates. But when it's that person's not white and could be black, could be Indian, uh, uh, you know, Middle Eastern or whatever, you don't start with that. You start with all the accolades first. You start with the level of education. You start with like, this is a great person, kind, intelligent, respects me. Like you have to build it up to like, to justify it. And that like, just makes my blood boil, <laughs> um, and I've seen it, and I've seen it, in that, um, you know, with friends, family, uh, just, like, different experiences, and I I don't think, I, I think, um, similar to you, I am blessed that my family here in the U.S. is a lot more open-minded. They've been here, you know, for a long time. They they um, assimilated in and, and, and certain ways of not uh, being more respectful, like understanding that language is powerful and we just have to be careful how, how uh, the things we say. Um, but um, I think I have also learned that family in Peru, we, we can't, we have less control, less influence on them. And sometimes we just, similar to your parents, we stand our ground, we say our piece and then kind of everything else is up to, up to them. of like you can't control that so but i I was curious about your own experience um with that um pivoting a little bit into back to like black lives matter so uh i also work for a financial institution um and so i've seen a lot of movement and a lot of conversation um in this on this topic a lot of senior leaders senior executives talking about it having discussions inviting authors inviting um, leaders of the movement um what has your job been like in the last three months? uh, I'm curious, like, because I think now we need more people with your skills. We need more people with your knowledge. We need more people who are able to facilitate those conversations. And sometimes, unfortunately, uh, corporate America thinks, oh, here's a black, brown person or a woman. She should be able to facilitate a conversation. I'm sorry, like, I feel like I cannot, (laughs) I am not trying to facilitate those conversations. I have my own thoughts and opinions, but. It requires a specific type of expertise that you have. So I guess I am curious to know what your work has been like in the last, you know, couple of months.
1: Yeah, no, we've. I think anyone that works in DNI right now is has been heads down, so busy, um, especially since Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and those those news ca- those murders and news came out. Um, it's been heart-wrenching to do this work honestly at times because I have a Black husband and these are people, right? And you care so much about the work that you do and it's all about diverse inclusion, right? Like thinking about the Black experience and how people just have had to come to work every day and see people that look like them be killed and what is the company gonna do, any company gonna do to, to say something about it? Like what is the stance going to be? So it always feels like the heartbeat, right? Like you, you feel, I don't know how to even articulate like what it's been like over the last few months, but it's just been kind of like heads down, making sure that this conversation does not stop and making sure that people feel like it's not just one moment. We're not just gonna talk about it when George Floyd and those new, that news came out. We're gonna talk about it today, next month, next year, and going forward. That has been the toughest things. I think a lot of people are emotionally drained, right? We're living in a pandemic. We're seeing protests around Black Lives Matter, where there's been like this reawakening across the country that racism still exists, which is insane to me that that happens but it happened this year because I think people are stuck at home and the only outlets they really have are like the news and trying to understand what the environment is around them they don't have all these other distractions they can't ignore what's happening anymore so having this again reawakening happen this year has been good in a way because I think it has accelerated some of the, the work that we have to do it's really put a pulse on dni as not just a nice to have it's a necessity and a lot of companies that do not have dni teams have been rushing to hire chief diversity officers had you know dni teams um diversity recruiting like all of these posts that i've seen on linkedin and and google etc about what people's goals are goals are what their ceos are saying etc so yeah, I mean, it is about, I think for me, the most important part has been making sure that we keep it going because so many times before it happened during 2016, 2017, 2018, there's been like huge outbreaks of individuals where we've seen multiple killings and we've had some conversations, we've talked about it, we've put a statement out, we had a a town hall about race and then what happens after? And I think for me, also the exhausting part right because we continue to have the conversation but there's no action after it so that is going to be the most important thing is okay this year we've had a bunch of stuff happen we're also dealing with covid people are, are tired of working from home and their loved ones are passing away how do we keep the the energy around this topic, right? Because we can't stop. I think especially in the political climate that we're in now, where people are just so on edge all the time when anyone speaks or sends a tweet out or something like that. Even in the debate yesterday, race is a conversation that keeps being brought up. So companies need to do a good job. And the company that I'm at, we're having conversations around privilege, around allyship, around diversity, and inclusion. During uh, Latinx, Latinx Heritage Month, we had this like town hall basically where people from all different countries, Latin American countries presented on how Black Lives Matter has been impacting their country of origin or the countries that their parents are from. So I talked about Peru and how Black Lives Matter potentially intersects with the work that we're doing here. And you know we talked about Colombia and Brazil and all these other countries. And it's wonderful to see, but I think again, it's an awakening exercise for people to understand that it's not just happening right now. It's not just happening with to black Americans, it's happening to black people everywhere. And again, it's like connecting it back to like, what are you going to do? What are the actions you're going to take today to make a change? How are you gonna hire differently? How are you gonna mentor differently? How are you gonna get involved with different things and different organizations um, to give back to the community? Like, how are you gonna educate yourself and your families and your loved ones about this topic? How are you going to hold other people accountable when you see someone um, saying something that's a microaggression and you're like, that's not appropriate? Like, call them out. Like, people have been scared for so long to speak about this at work, and now it's like the doors have been bust open. There's like no choice anymore.
0: So you mentioned that now there's a lot of demand for DNI work. Um, I am curious. Um, you pivoted, right? You pivoted your career into DNI work. What is for somebody who this has been sort of an interest, a passion, but um, it's not their field yet, what is some advice? What are some advice? Uh, what advice do you give them um, to be able to pivot into DNI work?
1: That's a really good question because I think there's a lot of people that are interested in this work now, and we so the Beduana Collective, which I know you're a part of, Natalie. So they had. A DNI conversation where I came and spoke to all the Biruanas there about how they could potentially start either DNA initiatives or give them basically like a toolkit, right, on how to get started. And I think a lot of people, from what I've been seeing, even with my own friend group that want to get more involved in this, is some companies you don't even know what they have yet, the resources that they have. So starting first and making sure that does your company have some sort of like DNI advocate, sponsor, executive? Even if you don't have like a DNI team, like who ha- who is like that person that you should go to around DNI? And if there is nobody, um, so reaching out to the head of HR, reaching out to like senior executives and saying okay, who's the person that handles this? And then going from there and making sure does my company have employee resource groups? Um, okay, do they do? Okay, do they have one for for Black? employees, do they have one for Latinx employees? Do I need to make one? What kind of people are interested in doing this with me, right, because you can't do it alone. This is a lot of work. You need to make sure you have a community to really help you do this. Um, so I think there, you don't have to always have like the diverse inclusion title on your resume to be able to do the work first. And that's really important, but I also wanna make sure that if you're interested in doing this and you're a person of color, that you don't feel like it's only your responsibility to do this because you're a person of color you also have a full-time job and things that you need to hit in terms of metrics and success and what success looks like for you right with your own job so try to get people from all different backgrounds to help you with these initiatives if you feel passionate that you want to do it that's fantastic but again don't feel like you have to take this burden on alone just because of the way that you look or your background we can no longer be tokenized for for being the only ones to have these conversations. That is not fair. And it's exhausting, honestly, to be that only person to be able to raise their hand and talk about these things or be the one that everyone comes to to get their questions answered. So I would recommend starting that way, like important resource groups, if people wanna collaborate on like a Google doc and share resources and then send that out on a a company-wide basis. Um, reaching out to executives and saying, "Okay, what are we going to do to start a DNI team or DNI council?" Right, getting involved, getting involved that way. I think a lot of companies there's a lot of appetite for this. So, if you want to get involved in this work, like now is the time. Like there's a lot of energy appetite to make these kind of changes.
0: Yeah, and I think what you mentioned that you don't have to wait for that title to start getting involved in, in, in those types of initiatives. And um, I'm, def- I'm part of a resource group for, uh, it's called, um, it's for the Latino a Latinx group um, in my company. And yeah, we've been be- pretty involved. One for you know Hispanic Heritage Month um, as the company celebrated as well. Um, but I, I have seen that um, it can feel like a second job because you are so invested in in making sure it's quality programming, right? Um, So I definitely appreciate your advice of like, hey, you don't have to do it alone, you have another job. So also keep in mind all of that. So so I want to pivot again uh, into your beginning, the beginning of your immigrant experience that started with your parents coming here because you, you were born here you mentioned earlier that your parents come from humble beginnings and so that they wanted the, to bring security to you. Um, what have your parents shared about their experience um, in Peru and then their experience as immigrants here, like the, the first few years maybe?
1: Yeah, um, I honestly, every time my parents tell me a new story about when they started, when they came over, I'm just like so proud of them and so surprised and just all these emotions I think run through me because I I look at myself and I think I'm a pretty resilient person but I think about what my parents had to go through and I just I I'm just like wow like in all of them sometimes all the time um my parents came to the U.S. and shortly after had me so my mom was 19, my dad was 26. Um, my parents you know had plans to go to the university, university in Peru and you know wanted to do better than their families had done in Peru. But I think there was so much happening in Peru at the time. This is like in 1988. Um, and my, my dad's brother came here first. So he came to Peru, I mean, he came to New York, to White Plains, and he found this like little community of Peruvian people that had immigrated from, from Lima. And he really, I think for them, like even being a waiter at a restaurant and getting, I don't know, $500 a week in American dollars, that was a lot of money you converted to soles. When at that time, the average monthly salary was like 200 soles a month. And you can get five hundred dollars, so fifteen hundred sold a week here, like that for them was like it's not just about like the money, it's about the security and about all the things that you could potentially build when you have that kind of access to opportunities. And I think when anyone grows up, at especially that age, and you think about America, America for them was the land of opportunity, the land where they could potentially have children and the children, their children could have access to everything, because that's what this country promised and my parents you know my dad started working at Caldor which is like a store similar to like Target back then um, my mom she worked at Burger King for a few weeks and I remember her telling me the story of you know not speaking English too well and having a lot of arguments with the people that worked there because there was this barrier of language she ended up just leaving and quitting you know At the end of the day, I think what I'm so proud of my parents about is that they never, just because they were immigrants, they never lost their own self-respect. And they always made space for knowing like, I may not know English, I may be coming from a different country, but like I'm worth a lot. I'm smart, I'm worth a lot, and I'm not gonna be treated as some sort of lower, lower citizen just because of the things that the barriers that you're feeling as a work you're creating because of these language barriers or whatever it is those are the stories that like stick with me so much because i i i can't even imagine how tough it must have been for them to not even communicate in the same language um when when they came to peru i mean when they came sorry to new york they landed in white plains and you know, they they didn't even know how to get to the airport to the place that they were going to. And just trying to figure out how to get a taxi to get to the place that we were, they were supposed to stay and all the steps that, that, that required, right? Like, I don't even think about that. That's like a privilege, right? That you don't even think about, like getting a taxi, going to place to place. And for them, just like that small journey, like was everything to them. That was like them seeing New York and, what that must have been like for them to land here i i mean for in peru in contrast to peru and new york like it was it was of course so different for them here Um, they had a lot of opportunities to find kind of quick paying jobs like being a waiter in a restaurant working in calador and they they were excited about that what ended up happening though is my mom was incredibly homesick i mean she was 19 years old and We So my parents had me and I ended up going back to Peru for almost four years to spend time with my mom and her family there just to make sure that she felt as though, you know, as a new mom, like she needed the support and she had no support. She had my dad, but my dad was working all the time trying to make a living for them, you know while she was raising a baby. And I think for, she was incredibly homesick. She really wanted to see her family. She missed them so much. And we ended up going back to Peru. And I think that time my dad was able to really kind of bulk up on his savings, work a lot because he didn't have this, he didn't have like me or my mom to kind of go home to. Like he was like, okay, I'm just gonna focus right now to work as much as I can so that my family can come back and we can really start and have our own apartment, like all of these things. So yeah, I mean, I think about even that, right? Like my parents having to be apart for so long and having to have this experience where they made a conscious decision for them to be apart for three plus years and talk on the phone. And there was no Facebook then. There was no, I mean, like FaceTime or video chats, like they had letters, they had, you know, quick phone calls that were incredibly expensive for them. Um, But I think having that mentality that, we're gonna make a sacrifice now for bigger gains later. I think meant a lot for my family because I think about how my parent, how my parents have been able to, you know, when I was 11, they bought their first house, and that was huge. That was huge for them. And I remember those those moments when they were even thinking about buying a house, and I was like, we're gonna buy a house. Like that seems like. For me, that was a huge, a huge monumental decision, right? So, I'm just really proud of them. I think about everything they've gone through, all the stories that they tell me all the time, and they're so resilient. I think those are the kind of traits that they taught my brother and I. Um, they know their self worth, and I think that's another thing that I continue to kind of bring in my career is that no matter what, no matter if you're the only person in the room that looks like you, like you are worthy, and it shows in the kind of stories that they tell me about their own experiences immigrating here for the first time.
0: That's beautiful. I love that they knew their self-worth so early on in their experience. Um, I have family that it took them uh, much longer to realize their self-worth that regardless of your immigration status of, you know, um, or skills or education, that you are worthy of being treated like a person, being treated with kindness and respect. Um, and I uh, have a family member that's in Florida and um, I don't think she knows it yet. And she's so humble. Like I want to say extremely humble that she could, She's um, she does a lot of arts and crafts and you know, it's very valuable, like the things that she makes, but like sometimes people will say, well, I'll pay you nothing almost for this product that she's selling. Um, And she will just say like, fine, like, it." you know, and we try to encourage her to realize her worth, realize like the products that she, uh, she's selling, it's actually very valuable. It would be much appreciated in a different um, market perhaps. And she's, you know, catering to, but that is something that um, I have seen with other immigrants that um, sometimes we're overly humble, um, which being humble is it's a good quality to have, but there's also understanding your worth and balancing those two things out. Um, I want to know how your parents uh, maintain the culture in your household. I know you mentioned that you visited Peru quite a bit. Um, what were some of your reactions to going back to Peru and and seeing that difference of like living in the U.S. and everything that comes with it, the values that you're exposed to, the things that you're exposed to, and then going back to Peru and seeing the life um, over there, you know, and like seeing those differences or similarities, so.
1: Um, I feel like my parents did a great job at instilling the culture and make I felt like when I entered my house like it was a Peruvian household like we had the the tumis like everywhere we had the the llama with the fur like on the wall (laughs) we had the the tiger blankets we we had the machu picchu and the llamas and the guarudo everywhere like that was always around Um, my friends would come over and my mom would make an and they'd be like what's that and it was obviously delicious but that wasn't everything. I, I mean, it was incredible to grow up in an environment where I always knew about those things. Um, and I would go to Peru all the time. And the food, obviously, is so incredible. And I think that's such a big part of our culture is the food and how it. It's a mix of so many cultures, and you know, growing up and and eating all of these wonderful things. But I think for me, like, just meeting. I guess growing up and, and having a different perspective every time I went to Peru where I, it, there are so many privileges again, that I grew up with, you know, having, I don't know, like we, sometimes you would go to the campo in Peru and like, you would have to pay for toilet paper or you go to like a private park and you have to do those things. And like, no one thinks about those things when you grow up in America. Um, you know, you have to pay, you have to have un for, for your toilet paper over there, which is like, you know, I, go, I, I went there last October and with my husband and it's like, he's from DR, so we get it. But again, like I can imagine any American like going there and being like, what is this? Like, I didn't know I had to do things like this before. Um, I think at Peru, I think Peru is such a land of like entrepreneurship and it's so incredible to see how many people just build their own fortunes there they they make it happen for them, for themselves, for their own families. You know, they, they buy their food carts and they're selling incredible, like these people are so talented. It's incredible that they're just, you know, sitting on a corner with their little cart, like waiting for kind of something to happen. Um, I think about how much Peru has grown in terms of on the shows and on Netflix and like how much we are televised now as like, be it place and be it food. And it's incredible, right? But I feel like I've always known those things about it. <laughs> I've always known it's incredible. We always
0: known, it was sort of little <laughs> secret
1: and our secret's out. Our secret's out. Um, but for the culture for me, I think was about the music, about family, about getting together and having an incredible New Year's Eve. Cause I think for Peru, like New Year's is everything. Um, having, my my dad's sister and my dad's brother are in the United States. So just getting together with them and, and learning all the slang and like just, I don't know, like having just such great memories and hearing their stories about Peru. My grandma's here. Um, my grandfather passed away, but just growing up with them and hearing their stories, like working in the chakras. And my, my grandfather too was an entrepreneur and created a chicken feed organ a company. And it was incredibly successful. And I think for him, he's wanted to instill those values in our family, right? Like going after what you want, making sure people understand, again, like your self-worth is everything. And you can do it, right? Even if you came from humble beginnings in Peru, like you can make something out of your life. And that's really important. Um, those are the kind of values that I think I was growing up with, but just making sure that my parents, my parents never lost touch of like, Listening to Musica in the morning, having Chicharron con Pan, you know, that, that big Sunday breakfast, Paneton for Christmas, like those kind of moments that food is at the center of it, but like the conversations and the moments you have talking about the country that you love, like was the way that I think my family always kept the culture in our home.
0: Yeah, I. Um... The whole like understanding how privileged, even if you are working class here in the US, I think um, as an immigrant, you still see that it's still a privileged life in comparison to the life you could have, have in, in Peru, right? Um, and uh, the, toilet, the toilet story makes me laugh because when my brother went back for the first time since we came, uh, we also had to pay for, for toilet and to him was like, <laughs> I have to pay to poop. (laughs) I think that's literally what he said. He's like, I have to pay to poop. And I was like, you're paying for the people to keep it clean and the toilet paper. Yes, there's a fee for this. There's a cost, you know, Um, but uh, just hearing your stories. It also reminded me that, um, you know, I came at the age of 10. So I do have a lot of memories of Peru like electricity was not a thing that you trusted to have every day. Like there were apagones all the time, right? So coming to the U.S. and knowing that I'm going to plug something in, I'm going to turn on the light and it's 100% of the time it's going to be on. That is such a privilege. And I think sometimes... Yeah, sometimes I also lose track of that now, like many years later, right? And also, um, and one of the conversations I had with another guest, she mentioned that she would always boil her water. Even, even like here as an adult, she was boiling her water and her roommate was like, what are you doing? You can drink tap water. <laughs> it's because in Peru, you can't. You cannot drink tap water. You have to boil your water. You don't want to die. <laughs> so, uh, so those are the little basic things that um, I think living in the U.S., we take for granted, and I think trips to Peru and and even hearing stories like from our, um, you know, our grandparents, like trabajando en las chacras, like you just said, uh, makes us appreciate much more what we have now. So you mentioned your husband. You went with your husband, um, and your husband being Dominican and you're Peruvian. How do you two um, embrace each other's culture? Um, I don't ever foresee Peru playing the DR and soccer ever, but I guess like. Uh, When talking to my husband about it, I was like, so what if the U.S. plays Peru? Who are you going to root for? He was like, the U.S., duh. And I was like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He better not.
0: (laughs) I was like, you're Um, sleeping on the couch.
1: (laughs) No, Peru all the way. Um, Peru, so I and my, my husband and I wanted to go to Peru for a while. We got married in 2018 in DR. And I think that was even a decision, right? Like I didn't want to get married here. I wanted to do either do it in Lima or in, in Punta Cana. Um, I really just wanted to make sure it felt like we were in a place where one, we could have like a real wedding like we, like we would have in Latin America. And I think that's really changed so much this year, um, obviously with COVID and people planning their weddings. But I think for me, like I was so fortunate to be able to have really the wedding that I wanted and I think the, the wedding in Lima, we didn't end up doing, because I think it was a little bit more complicated. The flight was eight hours, getting people there, like all of our guests, like that was just, it was a really big ask. And I think we, we ended up doing in DR, but I I remember going to the venue. We went to DR to visit the venues. And what I told her is, you know, I want ceviche, like Peruvian ceviche as an appetizer. I want anfajores, I want like pisco sours. I want Marinera, like, can you do all these things for me? Because if, if you can't, like, this is not the venue. Um, and we found a venue that I loved and we had all these Peruvian elements in our wedding, even though it was in Punta Cana. And that for me was exactly what I wanted, right? Like having touches of Peru that I think were important for me to have people experience, like, ceviche, pisco sours, obviously had to be like on the menu, um, up front and center. People had to hear Peruvian music like marinera and festejo throughout the entire wedding. Um, We had alfajores made, like all these little things that I think helped connect it back to where we're from. And the food is is such a big importance of that. So I loved, and the music of course. So I'm happy that we were able to do it that way. Um, But after that wedding, you know, of course I was always trying to get us to like go to Peru, go to Peru. And we went in October of 2019, and it was literally the best trip we've ever done. Um, I connected with local Peruanos over there to help me plan the whole thing. Um, I wanted to make sure that the minute we landed there, like we were always doing something, we were always discovering something, tried to make sure he met as many people as possible to always, but also saw as many things as possible. And there's so much to see in Peru. I mean, we were there for ten days, and there's no way we could have done everything. But we we went to Ica, we went to Viraflores. we went to Lima, we went to the town my parent was from. My parents are from. We went to uh, Machu Picchu, of course, the Cusco, which was literally breathtaking. Like I will never forget this trip. Um, we we went to so many different places and. Just, I think, being in Peru and having planned such a perfect trip over like 10 days, like always having an activity, always having some sort of uh, history lesson or just like some sort of tour to help us understand and and like dive deeper into the knowledge of the country was so important for me because I think I can do my best to do that. But I also understand that even though I'm proven American, I haven't always lived there. And there were things that I know I wanted him to learn. And we weren't gonna do that just with me. So making sure that every step of the way, there was something that we were gonna learn and do. We did so many hikes that were completely exhausting, but they were incredibly beautiful. And being able to have those moments together, I think, you know, he talks about it all the time. He's like, Peru, that was like literally the best trip I ever went to. Like Peru is so diverse. We went to Ica, which is, you know, like an oasis. We went to Lima, which is, you know, a city, a huge city, and so diverse, Um, and then Cusco, which is very touristy, but I also feel like there's so much embedded in, like, our ancient history, right, and civilizations that have lived there. When you walk up to Machu Picchu and you see that view that everyone takes pictures of, it literally, like, knocks you off your feet, and I hope that everyone gets a chance to go there one day, because it is incredible but i think having him go there and like see the things that i love about this country what made just made us made it so special and i think has deepened is his bond understanding of you know why i love this country so much not just because i grew up there i have my parents are from there but it's it's special to me right like i love it for so many reasons
0: right um and how how has he shown you like his country and how have you um sort of embraced, incorporated his culture, his food into your, you know, your
1: everyday? We don't. It's just all Peru.
0: Just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said la mejor amiga de una peruana es otra peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode.
1: We don't, it's just all Peru. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to say yeah, I mean, duh. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> Are a Peruvian you just gotta know it's all Peru all the time now <laughs> exactly
1: exactly um so it's so funny because I my parents bought their house I moved to Connecticut and Connecticut has no, nobody that's like of color um I mean they have some diversity but the town that I grew up in was I graduated with two other Latinos and one other black person and everybody else is white so I think for me, um, I really wanted to go to a college where I could just connect back to my roots. And I don't, I mean, Syracuse didn't do that for me necessarily, like up front. <laughs> but there were a lot of wonderful surprises that I got out of that experience going to Syracuse. So I never, like as a kid, I of course grew up in a proven household, learned how to dance, fist salsa, festejo, all that kind of, all those kind of musics. Um, but, I didn't know how to dance bachata. That wasn't a thing that Peruvians did like back then, right? They would listen to the song, but they wouldn't do anything. Yeah, it's not it was not
0: very popular. It wasn't very popular with Peru. I think. No. Now it's changing, though.
1: No, now it's definitely changing. So, but I also feel like because I didn't have other Latino friends my age, I think for me, the culture was very like, oh, that's my parent, like my parents do this. And I more so hang out with my friends that are white, so we do different things, right? We hang out at each other's houses, we like go to the beach, like whatever. We listen to, I don't know, like, I don't know what kind of bands I was listening to back then, like John, I don't even know their names anymore because all I listen to now is like all this Latino music, Bad Bunny, J Balvin, I don't remember those names anymore. (laughs) But like rock bands and stuff that, the kind of concerts I would go to, I was just, it was really different, like growing up there. So when I went to college, I met, so many diverse Latinos. I met Peruvian people. I'm like, I was like, wow, there's like other Peruvians <laughs> like me. Um, I met Dominicans. There was a lot of Dominicans at Syracuse and it was, I joined a sorority there and the sorority was Latina based. So they had a really powerful um, like introduction process to, the, to join, the, join the sorority where I had to learn a lot about Peru and a lot about my roots and what made it so embedded in who I was. And I'm so grateful for that sorority because those women came to my wedding. Those women were my bridesmaids and maid of honor. Those women will be my life forever. But those moments where I learned so much about my own heritage, not just from like my parents teaching me, but also like me being thoughtful about, intentional about like, this is what I wanna learn. It also introduced me to all these other cultures. And when I met my husband, um, we met through our fraternity and sorority, through some of those like mixers that we would have. And, you know, like it was the first times I was dancing bachata and listening to their music. And again, like I didn't grow up listening to those things. It's so funny now, like my family thinks I dance bachata like I'm um, dancing with the stars. Like they're like, oh my God, like dance bachata, <laughs> like you're amazing. <laughs> they're hilarious. But yeah, my, my husband, like all those moments I think have helped me understand a culture that wasn't my own, but I was able to start learning about it, start thinking about something different. Um, Cause I was always so used to like very few things like being proven and like that was it and growing up in a very homogeneous town. Um, And then being introduced to his family and the way that they grew up and the way that they had parties and would celebrate each other and celebrate their families. Um, We After I graduated, we went to a trip to DR together and his, his dad took us to like his hometown, which is like in the middle of nowhere DR or San Francisco. And I remember driving up this mountain and like literally it's like Gampo, like after six o'clock at night, like it is pitch black and there's showers outside and like, it's such a beautiful country. And, but it was just so different. It was like different and similar, right? Because we also have that in Peru. But I don't know, just like hearing the language that they have and the slang that they use and the way that they communicate with each other, even the jokes that they say to one another, like it is hilarious the way that, you know, like Peruvians have like, I don't know what the, that saying is, say like Ponte la Correa" for the Peruvian jokes because you know Peruvians are very sarcastic and they love their jokes. But Dominicans are oh my god! I've met so many people with their jokes and like their the cheese stick that they have. It's awesome. So I feel like I've obviously we've introduced ourselves each other to our cultures, um, but there's so many beautiful things I think about just like Latinidad and being able to embrace those things has been amazing because we bring, we're both Latinos, but it's just so so many beautiful differences that I think have created a really special bond and have allowed us to share so much about how we grew up and what kind of values we wanna to bring to our future family, right, one day. It's
0: funny, I feel like, uh, yeah, so like Peruvians definitely have their slang and their humor and I'm sure you get, you know, you mentioned you got introduced to Dominican humor and slang. I. You just can laugh twice as much now <laughs> at all the jokes. <laughs> um, so, what is next for you? Tell us what is next for you, either from a professional perspective, DNI work, and also tell us a little bit about BMOXI.
1: Yeah. So, what's next for me? I mean, I want to keep doing this DNI work. Um, I want to keep growing in this DNI work. Eventually, I see myself becoming like a chief diversity officer, and I'll be really happy when I when I get there, and I feel like the opportunities are are really at kind of arms reach right now. So being able to grow more in the space and do the work, like bring more Latinos, bring more Black employees, like into the work and help them become senior senior leaders at the organization, helping more women, LGBTQ, veterans, etc. That's really important to me. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, I think that's. of like what what's going to be happening now what's going to come next i think i'm my i've been married with my husband for for two years now so we're going to be starting a family not not now but soon um in the near future so thinking about that and the transition to be becoming a mom um and what scary things that will come with (laughs) (laughs) and trying to make sure that they know Spanish and know English and grow up with the Peruvian Dominican, Peruvian Dominican um, grandparents, um, what that will be like. So that's really exciting to think about. Um, I'm also getting my MBA right now at Stern.
0: Nice, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you.
1: So finishing that up in May, and I'm really excited about that and making sure that i leverage that to the ultimate potential right and being involved from from now until then to make sure that i'm also making an impact with my my stern community um but yeah i mean going back to be moxie the in 2013 when i was talking about working in, in finance and in trading i you know would talk to a lot of, to my friends about you know are you going through this as well am i the only one that's going through something like this am i the only one that's seen little representation of people like, that look like us in the, in the workplace. And all those conversations, you know, were like, yes, yes, you know, me too, me too. And when I would talk to other women that I would meet at other organizations, they also said the same things. Like, I don't see myself represented. I don't see a lot of people that look like me. I don't even know who to have these conversations with. And that's how Be Moxie started. So we sat down at a Starbucks one day and we're like, let's start something, you know, there's nothing really built for women of color to help them just network and get to know one another and have these kind of conversations. And we started off with a blog that had, that ended up having over 15,000 people globally looking at it on, on a monthly basis. We, did a lot of events tri-state, so we partnered with different universities. We were invited to do keynotes at different conferences, um, just to talk about like woman empowerment, but with a lens on being a woman of color. And I think that's really needed, especially for young girls of color that, again, just don't have a lot of representation um, to look to look at when they think about what's next for me in terms of my career. We we brought a lot of events together with different startups on helping women understand like investing and financial wellness, like that was really important to me too. Cause I think, again, so much of being, of being a part of my family was about like security and making sure that, and I'm sure this is the same for a lot of immigrant families. It's what's gonna make us feel as though we're secure from from now until forever, right? Cause we don't wanna feel like we don't have security ever again. And that was really important for me to teach other young girls of color. And I started this with two of my other best friends from college and it was just an awesome, awesome time to just do this for women, meet so many incredible women across New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, get emails from women like all over the world saying, I needed this article, this is happening to me, like, thanks for that feature. And it was great. We ended up doing a conference as well, partnering with the the high school here in the Bronx um it was called the Rising Moxie conference and we invited close to like over 100 girls and their parents to come and learn about not just going to school but like what comes after school and, like what kind of careers because you know i grew up thinking that there was only three options for me so helping them see like marketing hr like law but the different types of law that there there are um you know going into Business, But like you don't have to just go into finance like there are other things you can do at a bank. Um, And what I did was all the universities that we found we would reach out to the offices and say, do you have anyone that speaks Spanish at your university admissions office. And then those so we created kind of like a two part conference where one part was for the the students for the young girls and the other part was for the parents, so they were able to ask questions in Spanish to the financial office financial aid offices admissions and again, like that's not always things they have access to. And I think that the moment that really stuck with me was a young, a little girl, a, a young student came to me at the end, and she was like, you know, this conference changed my life. And it's like, okay, like that's a lot. Um, and she's like, no, I'm serious. And the mom came to me and she was like, kind of teary-eyed, and she said, my daughter, like, you know, we're from humble beginnings. Like, I don't, I don't know what these schools are. Or like, what what this all means for our family. But my daughter has been talking about this school Harvard for so long. And I don't like, what was that, right? What's Harvard? And now coming to this conference, I I didn't want my daughter to go there because I feel like she would have left. She would have gone to Boston. I didn't like know what that meant for us. I wanted to keep her close to our family. Like that's what it's about, right? And the little girl said, "Um, my mom's gonna let me apply and it's because of this conference like having her open her mind to sometimes like the cultural barriers get in the way of us helping our kids be successful because we don't understand it so like how can we possibly help them understand it and that for me was like oh my god like not only did it just put the stamp on like everything i do is worth it but as i transitioned into dni work i thought about i just did this with like Bootstrapping happy hour resources and like funds, and two other, you know, co founders. Like, imagine what I could do if I like go to an organization that has like hundreds of thousands of dollars behind DNI. Like, that's really solidified for me, like, going to the space and making that transition full time.
0: I mean, I uh, definitely organizations like BMOXI are so needed to help so many of our community understand the opportunities out there. And it's true, like I've definitely met parents and even my parents had hesitation to like, let me go you know, away um, to school. And sometimes uh, sometimes that is the right choice. Sometimes it's not the right choice. Sometimes the right choice yeah. is to go to school and stay. Um, but the important thing is for you to understand your options. And I think BMOX is it's doing a great job at, at sharing those options with people um so as my last question uh, what is one message you want to leave um for peruvians in peru who are listening to this because we have audience in peru um and then for peruvians in the u.s
1: so i think i i feel like i have a a theme throughout this conversation and it is about self-worth and a lot of Peruvians continue to come to this country and potentially feel like, because they don't know the language, because they don't know the culture, because they don't know X, Y, Z, that they are not worthy, but you are. And I want people to walk away from hearing stories like mine and the stories that you're sharing with Peruvians of USA, to see all the wonderful, amazing stories, amazing, Success stories that Peruvians have coming to the U.S., whether their parents made a sacrifice or they themselves are the ones, you know, immigrating here. Regardless, like you are worthy of all the opportunities that are coming your way, and you should grab those opportunities and and do it and go for it. Um, I think sometimes even companies will say to us, you know, you're not ready or you know, you're lacking something and those companies are probably not going to be for you. So find those places, find those spaces where they value you, but also where that you can show your, you know your worth and like that's valued too. I, I would share the same message with Peruvians in Peru, but I think so much is happening in Peru right now with COVID and here in the U.S. as well. And I think hold on to those people that are, are close to you. I mean, self-worth I think is a message for everyone, but I think family and so much of the values that we have in Peru are about family and making sure that you are protecting that energy and that space. Because we're going through a lot right now as a country in Peru, right now in the USA, protect what you can. And I think what you can protect is your, your, your nuclear circle and your space and your energy and the more that you can protect that i think the better you're going to be so that this what's happening right now with covid and you know so many people around us you know passing away like we can't let that stop us from potentially coming out of this stronger as like a unit so making sure that you know we protect what we can so that we can come out of it and, you know, triumph and continue to be that really vibrant country that I know that Peru is, that is full of entrepreneurship and opportunities that people are making for themselves.
0: Um, That's a beautiful message and definitely resonate with protecting your space, protecting, holding your family tight, um, doing, going back to fundamentals like we talked about at the beginning. Um, And I guess for, Maybe last last question. Uh, if the our audience wants to you know connect with you, learn more about Bimoxi, perhaps learn more about DNI work, um, how can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, so um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Joanny Diaz. Um, you can email me. Um, I, you know you can send me a, a LinkedIn request. You can add me on Instagram. So it's J A three, and we can connect there. We can share stories and pictures. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of ways that we can connect to one another and and support one another. I think the best thing that I've found by meeting people like you and Natalie is that there's Latinos and then the support that even the Peruvians give to each other, I think is so important. So the more that I can do to help everyone, but especially other Peruvian people, other Peruanos, like that is really, really important to me. Um, and I think we can, we always connect better over, you know, Un ceviche picante, un coca cola, <laughs> which that is, is um, I'm always down for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is true, and we'll have links to all the to your LinkedIn, uh, you know, profile and to your Instagram. Thank you again, Johnny. This has been really helpful. Um, just understanding DNI and the times we live in, and and thank you for sharing your own immigrant and your parents' immigrant experience, uh, and you know, we touched on relationships as well. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for the time.
0: Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I look forward to connecting with you there. And remember, el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano. Chao.